Welcome to Season 3 of American Political History, Conformity, War, and Liberty, Seeds of War. In July of 1636, English tradesmen came across a shallop adrift off of Block Island in the coastal shores of New England. As the English sailed over, dozens of native warriors scattered off in their canoes. But they caught a few warriors on the shallop that had not been so quick to flee. The English found John Oldham's mutilated body. Native warriors took fingers and toes to make ornaments for those they slayed in combat. Native cultures treated the bodies of their friends much differently. This cultural understanding was not lost on the English that arrived that day. The English interrogated those captured warriors, finding out in detail who had murdered Oldham, and that they had escaped on those canoes. After the interrogation was over, the English tossed the warriors, bound with ropes, overboard to drown. Even before this murder that was the straw that broke the camel's back, the relations between the natives and the English in New England had become tense. Although tense for almost two decades, the Puritan had not had the hostile wars with natives like Virginia. After William's treatise on English common law requiring legal agreement to purchase land from natives, Puritan settlements that had lands in doubt had found local nations so they could legally buy and pay for those lands which they had already settled, just to make sure there would be no issues of land disputes in the future. But New England was continually expanding. With thousands fleeing the strife of religious turmoil and the English Civil War, for Puritan land was a precious commodity that they were willing to pay a lot for. Much of their land was honestly purchased, but too often English cheated natives with tricks of English law and even application of alcohol before negotiations. Oldham was not the first murderer of an Englishman by natives in the region. There had already been ten killed, and from the reaction at the time of those deaths, it was killing of cheaters or the banished, that the Puritans had no real sympathy for. One of those men killed had been killed in the middle of an attempt to kidnap natives to sell them into slavery. But political narrative and evidence to take actions don't have to be built on historical facts, a myth, a narrative of the murderous hostilities of the natives began to sprout in New England. Oldham was a perfect example that fit into this narrative, maybe the only true example that would really fit into the narrative. But that didn't matter. The Puritans lived with fear of a coalition of natives forming, something like the Powhatan Confederacy in far-off Virginia. This fear was not misplaced. In Virginia, that native coalition had killed 20% of the population in one surprise attack in one morning. The Puritans also wanted revenge, and to teach Indians a lesson in general about messing around with the Englishmen. This time, with Oldham, the Bay was determined to find and punish the murderers, turning a murder into a pursuit of all native murderers, and more importantly, a forceful response would stifle the thought of a coalition of natives against them. This was, like many wars before it and after, started with the presumption of a quick and easy outcome. The English thought of themselves superior on the battlefield. John Underhill boasted, But war with Indians would be more of a pastime than a war. 
He came to this conclusion by his misinterpretation from his observation of native wars. When there was only a few deaths on the battlefield when compared to European battlefields, in which thousands died and the enemy was purged and enslaved. Indians didn't have the stomach for real warfare. The first problem the Bay had was who to hold accountable. It was unclear who specifically and from what nation the murderer of Oldham came from. The Bay sent envoys to investigate the Narragansett. After a few days of discussion with Sachem Canonicus, he was so impressive to the Bay's envoys, they now admired his command over his men and his wisdom in his answers. So they moved on. Excluding the Narragansett, now left several minor tribes in the Pequot. Without many suspects left, the Bay decided to retaliate for this murder against the Block Island natives in the Pequot. Now, this is hard to say concretely, with limited historical records, but the Narragansett were active trade partners with the English, especially Rhode Island. The Pequot were active trade partners with the Dutch in New Amsterdam even threatening the English that they might become exclusive trade partners with the Dutch if the English didn't give them favorable trade terms. I can't tell you that there wasn't some other evidence lost to history that pointed solely to the Pequot murdering Oldham. With what we have today, nothing references that evidence. I also can't say it's just a coincidence that the punitive example was taken out on a group that was an economic adversary to the English colony. The Bay sent envoys to demand that the Pequot hand over the assailants that had murdered the Englishman. It was, after all, the same Pequot warriors a few years before that had murdered that Englishman in cold blood, blatantly ignoring that Englishman was the one that was attempting to kidnap natives as his slaves. This is a common and repeated political strategy. Ask for an impossible demand. When it's rejected, you're freed to take further justified actions. Typically, this maneuver is done for your own politics and population. You see, we we tried the peaceful method. It didn't work out. Our hands are tied. We're forced to go to war. In August 1636, the Bay sailed an expedition of 90 militiamen to Block Island. They were ordered to kill all the men and remove all of the women and children who would be shipped to the Caribbean and sold into slavery. When they arrived, the expedition faced volleys of arrows that could not breach the hulls of the boats they were on. Once they landed on the island, the smaller native force retreated. The Block Island nation had already heard of this impending attack and evacuated. In frustration, the Bay forces would kill the natives' dogs, which were left behind, and burn the cornfields along with anything else they could plunder. From Block Island, the expedition sailed west to the mouth of the Connecticut River, where several hundred Pequot warriors awaited them. From his ship, Captain Endicott demanded Odom and Stones, the kidnapper, murderers, demanding a meeting with the Pequot sachems immediately to discuss these outrages. The warriors told Captain Endicott that the accused had died in an outbreak of disease and that the sachems refused to appear unless the English lay down all their arms when entering the lands of the Pequot. After hours of negotiations, Endicott lost his patience and announced to the Pequot that they had dared the English into combat with their procrastinations. The Pequot warriors melted into the landscape. Endicott disembarked from his boats and marched his expedition forces to a few close-by abandoned native villages, and he burned them to the ground. Then he sailed back to the bay victorious. 
The bay received protests from Plymouth and Hooker's Plantation who was settled on the exposed banks of the Connecticut River. But the loudest complaints came from Saybrook, a fort on the westernmost edge, which was now dangerously overexposed to Pequot retaliation. The fort's leader was a retired professional soldier from England. He complained that Endicott was allowed to raise the wasps around my ears, and then Endicott took wing and flew away. War was now clearly imminent by all parties. The Pequots started attacking any English outside of the fort around Saybrook. In Boston, they were far too concerned with the greater issue at hand. A, fort was not important in comparison, because they were focused on the omnipresent fear of a unified native coalition. The Narragansett Confederacy had a population estimated around 25,000 people. Although the Pequot population is not known, the Pequot and Narragansett had been generational adversaries, so it is a solid assumption that the Pequot could not have been far behind the Narragansett in resources. The English in all of New England numbered less than 10,000. The Great Puritan Migration to New England had begun, but it was less than halfway through at this point. An alliance between these two powerful native nations would give them such great numbers on the battlefield that they would be able to roam the countryside without meaningful English opposition. This would make any farming in the countryside too dangerous to attempt. It would cut off land communication between settlements requiring the populations to retreat to major defensible towns like Boston. The Puritan colony would have to shrink back into the major settlements alone, like the Dutch would have to during their pig wars when they faced a large, hostile native countryside. Now, it was very unlikely that the natives could have pushed the Puritans into the ocean. The natives didn't have the technology or weaponry to break heavily fortified towns like Boston or Plymouth, and their canoes would be unable to blockade the harbor from receiving English boats of resupply. What was at stake was not English settlement in the New World. The stakes was the Puritan Commonwealth and its autonomy from the crown. Major failures would draw attention of the king's court. When Virginia lost control of their territory and suffered major population losses in the opening of the Second Anglo-Powhatan War, the Virginia Company's charter was revoked and the colony was converted into a royally governed colony. The Pequot War was an existential threat to the Puritan Commonwealth, but not a threat that could eliminate English strongholds in New England. The Puritans' mind might have had this great fear of a native coalition, but unlike Virginia, where brothers of the Powhatan Confederacy had come together, generations of the Narragansett and the Pequot had been fighting wars. They were bitter adversaries, and their history would have been a lot for them to overcome. When the Puritans had negotiated a trade treaty with the Pequot a few years before, the Pequot ambassadors refused to purchase safe passage from the Narragansett. Instead, the Pequot paid the English magistrates, who then had to negotiate for their safe passage. This was so the Pequot ambassadors didn't have to talk to any Narragansett. This is how bitter their relations were. When the Puritans heard of a Pequot-Narragansett powwow, their fears allowed them to be humbled enough to ask for help from Roger Williams. They would give a man that they banished from their community the authority to fully negotiate on their behalf, telling him only to do his utmost to stop this alliance, and that they were giving him authority to negotiate a league of friendship, trade, or military alliances between the Bay and the Narragansett. 
The irony of this situation could not have been lost on anyone. So Williams sailed at once by canoe in the middle of a New England rainstorm to get to this powwow. Canonicus, sachem of all the Narragansett, trusted Williams and would have never allowed any other Englishman access to these joint discussions between the Narragansett and the Pequot. Williams, fluent in Algonquian, was the only Puritan and maybe the only Englishman in the world who could have followed these conversations without a translator. The large tent where this was held could hold a hundred men assembled in concentric circles around a speaker. Each speaker would take turns making long speeches to argue their points, everyone giving them their full attention. So many sachems wished to speak on the subject that it would take three full days and nights for everyone to get their turn. The Pequot's points were simple, that the English had overspread their territory, and that if given time, they would overspread to the destruction of the native nations around them, that if the Narragansett didn't join with the Pequot now, they would make their own future ruin. The two most powerful nations in the region must unite to drive the English out of their lands. The Pequot advised that because the English weapons and armor were too strong, their larger towns too fortified on the coast, they should not give the English large battles in the open. They should use hit-and-run guerrilla tactics to set fire to homes, kill cattle, spoil farms, and assault anyone caught outside the protection of the fortified communities. Williams would write that the Pequot's arguments resonated with the Narragansett warriors, but Sachem Canonicus gave no reaction. He turned to Williams for a response to the Pequot's demand of war with the English. Williams stated that Sachem Canonicus had no reason to question the English's faithfulness, he having long experience of Williams' friendship and trustworthiness. Sachem Canonicus broke a stick into ten pieces and personally gave an example of where the English had broken faith with the Narragansett. Williams explained away some of the ten instances and said that he would take Sachem Canonicus' complaints directly back to Bay authorities for resolution. Next, Williams would speak to the strength of the English and the power of opposing the Christian God, that the English weren't a people to have as your enemy. Instead, Canonicus could have a treaty with the English, and safety and security that the Narragansett would gain by officially documenting this relationship of friendship with the English. And then Williams would slip in the temptation that mattered. That if the English and the Narragansett formed a friendship via treaty, then they together could conquer the Pequot once and for all, and they would share in the spoils of this war. Williams closed his argument by bringing up a long list of historical grievances the Pequot had inflicted upon the Narragansett, and the Narragansett now had the opportunity with the English to right these wrongs of the Pequots. Sachem Canonicus and his heir, Sachem Myantonomi, withdrew to consider the arguments in private. Thank you for listening to this episode of American Political History. If you want to support the show, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating, and share this show with someone you think would enjoy listening. Thank you again, and until next time.